a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hey, what up, friends? Welcome back. Yo, yo. Hey. You're back. What are y'all drinking? I'm drinking apple cider because it's like... 68-ish degrees here, and it's fall officially, and I love apple cider. So that's what I'm drinking. While it is fall officially, um, I'm still trying to ride the summer wave because it's like still kind of warm here, like relatively speaking. And I've been wanting to make this for a while, so I made this blueberry basil simple syrup just now, like an Ooh. hour ago. Wow. And it turned out really good. It took me a while to strain it out, and I'm pairing it with a shot of gin and some ginger... Ale? No, ginger beer. And then I chopped up some pieces of ginger as well to like add a little bit of extra bite. And it's wow. really good. Oof. In the syrup, I can like taste the basil, but in the drink, it's like hint of basil. Yum. Very nice. Exquisite, Josh. Yeah. I'm I'm digging it. Well done. I am enjoying a hot mug AeroPress of the Highline coffee blend. Mm-hmm. Absolutely delightful. Um I also wanted to say that I had so much fun making that goofy ad with you guys. Same. It turned out way better than I thought. It was so good. <laughs> I didn't even realize, like, after I heard it, that was me talking because yeah. I don't sound anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. So out of character. It was very fun. No, but you were in character, and that's the point. V- very good. Yeah. Very good. That is true. Um, and as a backup, because I, I assume I'm just going to like chug this coffee because that's my vibe today, uh, mm-hmm. I do have a lime LaCroix locked and loaded, ready to nice. go. Nice. Are you a room temperature LaCroix guy or are you a chilled LaCroix guy? Well, I pulled it out of the fridge, so it was chilled, but I'm not opposed to it room temp. Like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. I guess I'm not opposed I to think, it room I temp. I think it depends on the flavor. Yeah. Would you say that drinking it at room temp like brings out more of the LaCroix essence? Feels more bubbly to me. Oh, interesting. Temp, personally. But that's neither here nor there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so today is my turn to choose a topic and to be honest all day i've been kind of struggling to like feel the juice on any of the topics i have written down in my evernote and i thought about doing like a list and having you guys choose or we roll a d4 like we've done in the past especially when josh is so overloaded with topic ideas classic but i feel like i kind of landed on one and i actually want to start the topic though by asking one of my favorite questions that i use as an icebreaker of all things on No Normal People, my other podcast, which you both have been on, but I don't think I was using this icebreaker question by the time you guys were being interviewed, especially you, Josh. You were my first interview ever. Like we made our first Aww. podcast together almost three years ago. That's so Yeah, cute. I think it was three years ago. I just listened back to it 
crazy. And wow, oh my gosh, it feels nostalgic and that feels weird. It does feel nostalgic. Also, can I say, I don't know, like, I felt like I was talking weird. And that's probably because oh. I was trying to like perform as a podcaster. Also, my skills as a sound engineer are so much better now. Oh my gosh, you've so improved. <laughs> like, <laughs> love that conversation. So much fun as an interviewee. But yes, you have gone so far now. It's incredible. I almost feel like we should do another No Normal People with you like almost 100 episodes later. Ooh, yeah, like a before with, and after. Yeah, with the current format. That would be kind of interesting. Anyway, okay. so That would be pretty fun. I want to ask you too. What is your favorite failure? I think you're right that th- this was not in the shtick when yeah. I was on. And actually, I started using that um, as a manager to interview people. Yeah. Ooh. I like started wording it that way because I really loved that question. Could you talk about why you love the question? Because I, I could definitely wax poetic about why I love yeah, the question. Yeah, I mean, but... like I think that a lot of interview questions, especially in job interviews, just become so cliche and like... People like often rehearse them beforehand because they're so common. What's and, your biggest weakness? Yeah. 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 Exactly. What are your What are biggest strengths? Tell me about a time that you had a confrontation at work and how did you deal with it? And it's like so easy to like rehearse all of those. And I think that favorite failure is a, like a really fun spin on like tell me about something you did wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what happened after? Yeah. And I usually follow up this question with. Maybe something that taught you a lesson that stuck with you or set you up for future success. Um, I also should credit, I got this question from my favorite interviewer on the internet, Mr. Tim Ferriss. He asks this question Mm. on on his show all the time. But now I pose that question to you. What is your favorite failure? Man. Ironically, I'm going to have to think about it for a second. No, that's okay. I know, me too. What a question. That's okay. This is more of like a failed attempt versus like, a personal failure, so to speak. Yeah, sure. Um, my favorite failed attempt was when we tried really hard to fake rapture one of my friends in ministry school. I can't remember if I've shared this on the pod. <laughs> Have I shared it here? Do you remember? You have. It was forever ago. Please. Okay. Mm-hmm. So long story short, we we planned for months and we had it down to a science. We were like timing ourselves, like shedding off clothes, jumping out a window, getting in an escape car, having a car running with clothes in it. Like we got elaborate and then we we got to the point where we were like, this is too believable. We convinced one of our other roommates to like also be left behind, like to convince the person we were trying to prank, like because he was going to blame him for pranking him. Yeah. And it got really meta. And then like, long story short, that guy backed out of it and he was like, if you go through with it, like, I'm just going to tell him it's a joke because I think it's, I think it might be a little bit too far and we didn't do it. But then like after the fact, we were telling my friend about the plan to do it and he just kind of like sat there for a minute after we like told him like a 15 minute version and he was like i think i would have bought that and i'm not sure what i would have done oh and we were like oh okay well good call on not doing it i guess yep almost glad we didn't traumatize you Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so that's probably my favorite failed attempt sure i think my favorite failure was actually this last christmas we had two christmas eve services And the first one was very heavily attended, went very well. And the second service, we had two people come. Mm. Wow. Whoa. We had more musicians than congregants. I've totally been there at church before. But it was my favorite because the fact that only two people came, they felt so embarrassed and they were getting ready to leave. And I said, no, please stay. Like, why don't we share in communion? And... We'll sing Silent Night. And it was so 
fun because it was just mm. the musicians, those two people who actually attend my church, uh, Pat and Mike Yeager, and myself. And I was losing my voice. I was getting sick. And I was ready to go home anyways, but the way that the mood in the room was just set up perfectly for us to be intimate in this space and to sing Silent Night with less people than more people was really special. And I was I was really moved by it. But I did tell my musicians and the music uh, director for this year's Christmas, we're only doing one Christmas Eve service for sure. We are not doing two because that was a big failure. <laughs> So it, it taught you a lesson as well as gave you a great story and memory. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think it's a lot more interesting to ask about someone's failures than their successes. Cause honestly, how many times mm. do we hear like, and then everything went my way and I got exactly what I wanted. Like that's a boring mm-hmm. story, right? Yeah. My favorite failure I think was actually making the choice to discontinue attending college. Mm. There were there were many factors going into it. I think the mo- the biggest factor was I wanted to get married and I wanted to be married to Dixie and have space to explore the evolution of our relationship uh, without feeling like I'm also going to stack on a full-time job and full-time credit load chasing a degree. So I told myself that I was going to take a year off, basically learn to be married as I was telling everyone at the time, or at least begin to, you know, I feel, I still feel like I'm learning and I just hit seven years last July, but, uh, I was going to just take a break and go back to college. And then in that, in that interim, I think the choice to not go back to college, it felt like a failure because I think that if that's kind of stereotypically set up as like a Well, these are the expectations of our culture. You finish high school and you go to college and you get a good degree and then you get a job and using that degree and all that. And to me, I felt like it taught me a lot about whose expectations I value fulfilling and either those being my own, you know, like self-imposed expectations versus someone else's um, or societies or whatever. So... Using this whole discussion as a springboard, I wanted to talk about failure kind of in general, how we grew up thinking about it. Do do we think that we were set up by our childhood churches to think about failure in any particular way? What do you think God's attitude is toward our failure? Do you think God fails? (laughs) I have a lot of questions in my brain. Um, I, I'm going through a season again where I'm just kind of asking myself with, uh, with different projects, taking a sunset or taking a hiatus or, or things like that, and new things coming on my horizon, I am really asking myself a lot of questions about like, whose expectations do I value fulfilling right now? Like, mm-hmm. And, and where, where are those coming from? Because very often I feel like a failure and then I realize that no one is telling me that, it's me telling me that. But let's let's start let's start toward the beginning. I want to know: Do you think you were indoctrinated? Feels like a a heavy word for it, but I think it's actually appropriate. Do you think you were indoctrinated to think about like your failure in regards to church, sin, holiness, any particular way? Yeah, that's a hard one because like I can think back and remember different circumstances where I really felt shame and guilt and 
I think maybe some of that was imposed externally and maybe some of it was driven more internally. But I feel like if we're just going to talk about the theology that I was raised with, I think that it was a mix of all have fallen, all have failed, even in the smallest ways, but there is grace. And there's like room, there's like this optimistic, all things will work together if you love God. Mm, Yeah. And maybe that's what has turned me into such an optimist, even like in circumstances that like feel like they could be failures. Like for instance, I almost said for my favorite, my favorite failure was this managing position that I was in last year. Like I've never been in something Mm -hmm. that I like felt so fully into at the beginning and then like rapidly declined in terms of like motivation and energy and the juice and all of it. And I think it's really easy to look at circumstances as failure without seeing like the room for something on the other side. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't it wild that it seems like it's, it's easier to see the room for something else on the other side of failure, the further you get in time away from the like event. The mo- like I feel like when I'm mm, mm-hmm. in the midst of it, I am just loaded with every negative thought you could think of, like self-critical, mm. kind of almost like self, like uh, self-flagellation, almost like I feel like I almost should like be punishing myself for, sure, yeah, <laughs> failing, and that's that's an enneagram oneness for sure that you guys yeah. might not uh, relate with, but the the further you get away from in time that story can evolve to be your answer to your favorite failure. And like you even putting it in the category of favorite, I think is a fun way of like flipping that on its head and Mm -hmm. recognizing like now that I have some distance, I see the, the bigger holistic picture. I think that for some of the circumstances that I've been in that I might categorize as a failure, like for instance, that rapture prank, like at the time I was super bummed that we weren't going to go through with it because we'd put so much, Time and effort, like, you know, that uh, sunk cost fallacy, like, we were super pumped about it. Mm. But then, like, almost immediately after it, like, we recontextualized it and we were like, oh, nope, that was a good thing that we didn't do it. That was not technically a failure in the sense that, like, it could have been better if we had done it. And I think it's, like, really easy to feel failure in, like, the midst of it. And I've certainly been there. Yeah. What was your original question about, like, like how we're we were raised to think about failure yeah pretty much i'm not sure (laughs) like the more i think about it i'm not really sure yeah because i feel like a definition of sin is basically right like failing to hit the mark i've heard that a lot even as a recontextualization of like it's not just breaking the divine rules um why do we fall master bruce (laughs) (laughs) um i really like that question because it's making me realize how little the church, at least that I attended growing up, talked about failure and how much it was discussed more so in my house than anywhere else. And what I appreciate about learning about failure growing up in my home was it wasn't used as a tool of shame. Like, Stephen knows my family, especially my mom. Like, she's one of the most altruistic people I know in the world. Shout out to Linda. Shout out to Linda, Mama G. You, I love you. Uh, my mom, especially, and my dad, too, were people that they wanted us to fail 
not so much so we could learn something from it. I mean, that's I hope that's the goal, but they didn't want us to fail so we can learn something. They just wanted us to fail to know what it's like to not have such great expectations set up all the time to where you feel then like you yourself are a failure. Because if you fail something and you realize it doesn't necessarily impact how you see yourself and it maybe just impacts how you're going to do something in the future, that was what I think the goal was instilled in me. And so unfortunately, me being a nine, uh, I find myself falling in this trap of if I fail at something, it must mean that I am the failure. Like I, I personalize it so much. Uh, it's not so much that the thing itself failed. It's I failed it. Becomes uh, identity very quickly. It's to you. A very much an identity crisis. And hmm. as a pastor, especially that is damning. Like that, that tears me apart where if a member of my church, you know, says that something fell through, I I do. I am so quick to say, well, that was, that was my fault. Like I am at fault. I am the failure. I will. I, I, I. Uh. And I got to learn to not do that. <laughs> like sometimes shit just falls through and it may not be one person's hand or the other that caused it. it things just happen. And I have to learn to not take it so personally. And that's why I'm glad my parents very early on tried to say like it's not you like things can fail and sure you are a part of it but don't turn it to where you see yourself as the failure and you're taking that identity on for yourself because it's not that's not true like i don't see myself as a failure i don't see like you two are not failures even if things fall through you know like we are very quick to have that identity put on us. And I think churches are mm. also responsible for doing that because of how we talk about sin. Yeah. I mean, how we talk about sin, at least the way I grew up, was very kind of in line with Josh, I guess, like very in line with like total depravity. And don't think there's a way that you can talk about total depravity without making it an identity thing mm -hmm. of like, the sin is what defines you. Oh, but until it's not and Jesus Christ right. gives us grace and stuff. But mm -hmm. if if you're going to start with an identity of I am completely wretched and deserving of hell, deserving of all these like, you know, I don't deserve anything to go my way. But for the grace of God, will I? And, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's a very weird uh, cognitive place to be is being taught to basically continually remind yourself how shitty you are. Mm -hmm. just so that it should be contrast to how good God is. Mm -hmm. But then, like, what are we even talking about when we read Paul and he's like, no, we don't sin so that grace can abound all the more. But I don't know. It gets all very twisty, you know? Well, that's why I think the failure language is interesting from the, the sin language because, sure, A, it doesn't feel it's theologically charged. And B, I think that it, kind of assumes that someone has control over the outcome of something. Oh. Like you failed to do the task. Like you you had choice in that versus like I think sin often gets wrapped up in the total depravity thing as in like you kind of don't have a choice. Like you are sinful no matter what you choose mm -hmm. to 
I feel like failure implies like intent. That's that it, it's default mode. Yeah. Anything not sinful is either by God's grace or or you tried hard enough, but then if if it was all just based on your trying, then it's still sinful in God's eyes is the way I was taught it. Like this is not a works-based <laughs> salvation thing at all. Like any success you have is all for the glory of God cuz otherwise you're screwed. Um, man, Josh, what you just said reminded me of the parable of the talents. Oh yeah. I don't know. Wh- How so? Well, cause I'm thinking about the servant who is given the talent and he watches his peers go and like invest what they were trusted with and make a return. He watches them do that. And then he makes a choice to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this other thing and I'm going to bury it and keep it safe and know that I'll at least have the one that I was given to return and say, look, I kept it safe instead of there's almost like a feeling of like the others were rewarded for taking a risk and succeeding, but he was penalized for playing it safe by choice. That wasn't like a default action on, on in his case, like there was volition there. Yeah. Your connection there reminds me a lot of the, the prayer practice that I was starting to adopt in like late high school. Oh, I hear that LaCroix opening. That's lovely. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> um, it's specifically like prayers for healing, like trying to pray for people that they would be immediately healed by God. And I, I cannot tell you the amount of times that I did that and then like felt like I failed. But even like in the teachings of that, like a lot of people in those circles will teach you that like you need to risk more. Like if you're not, risking and having faith like god isn't going to meet you kind of theology Mm. oh so then it becomes like this weird kind of like if the healing failed like there's a very good chance that it was you and it's really i think it's really easy in those circles to like a lot of them won't say it directly but it's really easy for you to intuit that like i'm failing like i'm Mm -hmm. failing in what god is trying to tell me to do and it's not necessarily like sinful. That's I think what's interesting about the difference in language. But like you feel like a failure when mm-hmm. you pray for someone and they're not immediately healed like yeah. you were told they were going to be and like the person on stage did. So I've experienced a lot of that. And that theological wrestling is like that. I personally, I think that gets kind of difficult. Like that's happened to me so many times. <laughs> like when I have prayed for someone and I like fully believed that God was going to heal them right then and there. Yeah. As a sign of God's love and nothing happened. Or that you're not faithful enough. Yeah, totally. So the, I think that's weird is that like there, there becomes this like psychological label of failing and it's not necessarily like theological, like sin. Like you're not, it's not like moral failing, but it's like an unsuccessful spiritual attempt. Well, yeah, I just, I like, I think of uh, the feelings Peter must be having in the story when Jesus like reaches down into the water and picks him back up and says like, why did you doubt? Ye of little faith. Like it's not necessarily sinful that he didn't have enough faith to continue walking on the water, but I think there is failure going on in that moment. Right. And what is, what does that do to Peter? We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. 
If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, yeah, buzz names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. and Well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network shop, or tap the link in the show notes. Steven, can I ask you a personal question? Oh yeah, shoot. Would you say you feel like currently a failed worship leader <laughs> like would you use that language uh yeah i suppose so all right i think it not in a shameful kind of way because mm-hmm. i think shame gets wrapped up in failure a lot i feel like i've released the shame of it and for me i think i was raised from the age of i almost said from the age of fifth grade <laughs> I was born in fifth grade. (laughs) No, but pretty much in fifth grade is actually when I started playing drums at church. So like I've been involved in music at church for over 10 years of my life, like fifth grade through just, I quit like three years ago. So I was kind of raised from that point, essentially with this idea of being a worship leader, being on the, the worship band 
is all for the glory of God. And I, I was kind of like subliminally trained to reject compliments on my own talent and say like, yeah, thank God that he made me this damn skilled, you know? Um, and honestly, I was never able to like actually hold on to that. Like some people were preaching at me that I ought to. And at this age, I'm like, oh, I don't think anyone pulls that off. That's just the expectation we set for ourselves way too high to be like, I'm going to perform for a group of people, but I'm going to like say it's not about the performance going on and it's all about God. And just like people often like pointed up toward the ceiling of the building saying like, we're not here for the glory. We're here to give God glory. And they point up and it's like, okay, all right, cool. Um, so I am a failed worship leader in that I never got that attitude locked down uh, because I think that's natural <laughs> for the ego to like feel good about being good at music and stuff. And I wasn't able to like, I don't know, disassociate <laughs> well enough to fulfill those expectations of the worship leader is only here to facilitate and there's nothing about a performance going on. Stephen, what was one of the questions that you asked at the beginning of this episode about do we see God like has God failed us? Was that how you phrased it? Yeah, I was I was going to get there because I, I was I've been thinking this whole time about how most of the stories in the Bible are stories from both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that are both like like we hear more about everyone's failures than their successes. Mm-hmm. You want to name like any apostle like, you know, Thomas is famous for his failure in faith. And for doubting, uh, Peter's kind of famous for denying Christ three times before the rooster crowed, you know, and you could go back to the patriarchs too. And, you know, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So like, I've, I've been thinking about all those stories, but in the midst of those stories, I've been thinking, I've been wondering, do we have examples of God failing? I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is Jesus on the cross saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like another failure of faith moment. Yeah. Yeah, I would say pretty much any of the lamenting psalms sharing their frustrations to God of promises that they felt were broken. I think a lot of it goes back to, this word has come up a couple times in this episode, I think it a lot of the time goes back to expectations. Like expectations on the part of someone and then that someone seeing the situation as a failure. Like if you expect mm. God to save you from a situation or if you expect God to heal someone that you prayed for and then it doesn't happen, if you expected it to, it's very natural to project that onto someone else as a failure or internalize it. Like it's, it's easy to go either direction, I think. But I think in terms of God, I think it's really easy to project upwards our expectations. I feel like I've heard a lot of people try to ju- do gymnastics around that idea and, and Sometimes it becomes about you and right, like, right. You didn't have enough faith for that healing to take place. Also getting couched in a lot of language about prayer, especially like intercessionary and like requesting prayers of like, you are well within your rights to ask God for this, but maybe the answer is no. Mm. You know, sometimes I feel like that, that does work to like, let God off the hook and still make it about you. And maybe your failure or maybe like, you know, the reason you were told no to that prayer is because that was actually misaligned with God's like plan or purpose or whatever. But that still makes you sound like deficient because 
it's just pointing out where you were misaligned with God in the first place. I think different views of God have the potential to see failings of God. Like, I think that the stereotypical atheist argument couched in the problem of suffering that, like, sees God as, like, sees the concept of God as incompatible with God's own characteristics. Like, how can God be all loving and all powerful and not stop evil? It's not the best argument, in my opinion, but, like, I think that that perspective sees God as failing, Mm -hmm. as a concept. Mm. Not necessarily, like, as a being, because then they're, like, using that argument to argue against the being of God. But I think that, yeah, I think it kind of depends on, like, someone's conception of God and whether they see God as failing or us as failing primarily. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, like, who's that primary failure? Something like that. Do you feel like God has failed you, either of you? I guess not personally. I think that a lo- I think the times that I felt like God was failing me, I think looking back, I'm like, no, I was like expecting things of God that now I do not expect anymore. Yeah. Like whether that's like praying for someone's mm. healing or um, an <laughs> intervention in a situation. Like, honestly, those situations just like caused me to not believe in that concept of God anymore. Yeah. I mean, because Josh, I think you and I have both been in the shoes of utterly convinced that we were going to marry a specific girl and praying about it so hard and now we are definitively not married to those people yep (laughs) you and i've both been there but i like maybe in the moment i was feeling like man this girl doesn't want to date me (laughs) i feel like god is failing me (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. you know like steven in the moment i could see that being something i was feeling uh just because i i felt like i was being so earnest and trying to be so pure and so yeah i think that there have been times like that when i felt like god was failing me but then after the fact after some recontextualizing i now no longer feel that yeah so then do you think it's possible for god to fail i think theoretically i mean we are a th- theology podcast so this is all theoretical wait um, we're a theology <laughs> podcast <laughs> Don't let what? the trolls know. <laughs> um, so Where have I been? <laughs> so I would say, theoretically, yes, God can absolutely fail if failure is based on the expectations of another. Like, if I have certain expectations mm. of God, God can absolutely fail my expectations. God, I don't think God is under obligation to succeed every possible wish yeah. under planet Earth. And I actually mm-hmm. think very few Christians would believe that as well. So I think it's logical to think that God can fail expectations, but would God see that as failure? I think that even just like the definition of failure is often very subjective. Yeah, it is. It really perception is key. Yeah, it really is a question of like according to whom. Mm -hmm. I wonder if man this this gets into so many like characteristics of God. I feel like especially like all knowing or all powerful, because there's a lot of questions of like. Is there a plan being enacted? Like, is God moving history in a very specific way? And does God always get what God wants too? Because if, if God has a desire for, for instance, the people of Israel to not have a king and follow him under the rulership of temporary judges, but ultimately setting up a government differently as a people group, like God has a desire for that to be the way things are. And then the people are looking around at kingdoms around them and saying, like, I mean, it might be easier if we get a king, 
and they start looking at Saul like he seems like a cool, you know, and then God is telling Samuel, like, I never wanted this for you. Like things are going to go bad for you. So even according to God's own desire, would that be it? Would the fact that Israel did appoint and anoint a king at some point, would that be a failure of God's? I feel like Emily should answer this question. Yeah. Fun one, right? The seminarian. Ask it again. Ask it again. Uh, Does the fact that Israel became a monarchy Mm -hmm. make that a failure on God's part for not, I guess, successfully convincing the people that they don't need a king and that that Yahweh is enough? For that leadership. Oh. Hmm. I would say possibly. And the only reason I'm saying possibly is because we only know of what God wants through interpretation of that text and mm. through the stories that are handed down. Yeah. And so whether or not I would encompass that whole situation as God failing because God couldn't relay the message, you know, possibly, but we really, we don't know. Like what, what if that was God's plan and one little thing like fell through the cracks, you know, like what if everything was working out the way it was supposed to? And then this one tiny thing happened. Like we... And I also want to be careful because there are faith traditions that would say absolutely not. And then there are those that would say absolutely. <laughs> so it's like yeah. you got to you got to be careful of which well, ground you're standing. on. So here's another example. Then everything is apparently going according to plan. And one little thing falls through the cracks. And it just so happened that that was Eve giving Adam mm-hmm. the fruit to eat. Mm-hmm. And they ate. Is that a failure on their part? Failure on God's part? Or is everyone culpable? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, why couldn't it? Why does it have to be a? Why does it have to be so? Could be all of them. Binary with you two. <laughs> world is the world is rainbow and gray and colorful as much as black or white. Um, I th- and I I also think it depends on how you would define a failure. Like Josh's definition, I love it. Like it's basically like a falling short of expectations and Mm -hmm. i would see in adam and eve's perspective that god failed them because he let the serpent in the garden to the in the first place right it's like hey it's it's like when i tell thea not to do something and she looks at me and is like it's right there you're telling me not to you know touch this thing but it's right there in plain sight i can reach it but you're telling me not to touch it right and there's so many other things to touch, but the one thing I'm like, I am, I am at fault for one, having it even in my line of vision for my child to see, but also making the claim of don't touch it. Don't, don't, don't touch it. Don't you dare touch it because you're, you're just then setting up a situation of, well, what happens if I do? Well, now I want to know, like you're sparking curiosity and learning, which is great. And for all I know, if I would have never brought up telling Thea like don't touch this thing she probably wouldn't have even known it was there unless she one day says hey what's this (laughs) and I say oh this is that don't touch it one of those situations so was Adam and Eve like a toddler curious after their dad tells them not to touch something sure but I don't like how would you define it as a failure because on one side they would see the other party as being at fault and god would probably say vice versa or uh, yeah i don't know i think with 
people leaving the church too, I think it's really easy for two different parties to feel like the other person is failing. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think that it's, it's really easy for, unfortunately, a lot of church people to have the perspective that people who leave the church or people who jump churches are failing them personally. And I think it's really easy for people who are feeling the urge to leave their community and leave it all behind in some ways. I think it's really easy for them to feel like that church or that structure or those people are failing other people or them. And mm-hmm. I think it's really choppy when like people have different opinions about an event and they're both viewed as failure, but they're like blaming other people. Yeah. I think that's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the concept of like ownership. I feel like I've heard it in the workplace before. I've heard it at churches before. And even in an example of like a breakdown in communication, failure to communicate. I feel like the, the concept of like, Josh, you just got me thinking about it because you're talking about how people will tend to blame the other, but flipping that on its head and taking ownership of the problem and saying like, hey, I recognize miscommunication happened and that may have been my fault, you know, like taking that ownership on, like taking blame out of circulation does a lot to, I think, get failure out of that realm of binary like it's someone's fault and now all our attention is just trying to figure out what the cause was rather than if someone takes ownership of it and says hey it might have been my fault now all of a sudden the whole conversation shifts to like okay how do we move forward now how do how does the rest of the story get told action reflection action there you go on the bingo card um do you feel okay so i'm Really curious to know then in that action, reflection, action, uh, action, God mm-hmm. creates the world. Things go wonky. <laughs> reflection is a long period of letting humanity figure it out. Is the follow up action? I feel like this is way too easy, but is it Jesus? <laughs> that, that could be an answer. Yes. Is, is Jesus incarnation teaching? All of that. Could that be God taking ownership for that failure? It could be. I would also go along the lines of action would be creation and all hell breaks loose and things fall apart. And I would say we are still in the reflection period. Even with the way some Christians would like to talk about Jesus with a note of finality. Yes. I guess you're not. Again, that's just me personally. Part of those Christians. Yeah, I'm not part a, of those Christians. One of those no. liberal Methodists. <laughs> I know. Music to my ears. Dang it. Um, because that's that's how I grew up. Is like Jesus is the final word that God has for the world. Well, so but remember the at the second action is intended to be when you find yourself in that situation again. The reflection was supposed to help you gain knowledge so you are better prepared uh. and so that's why i would say we are still in the reflection period because we're still trying to figure out what went wrong what happened what parts did we you know do we need to claim responsibility for because i don't think we fully have the picture yet and i don't know what the final action is going to look like mm. i think i could probably make an argument for the three wilderness temptations of being kind of a mirror of in the same situation, Adam and Eve failed their temptations, whereas Jesus, as an example of a human, was able to flip it upside down. 
I think it helps if we look at it from that perspective rather than applying it from here's Genesis to modern day. I think if we if we stay with <laughs> like if we stick with parameters that are not stretching so many millennia and boundaries, you know what I mean? So mm. I think for creation and Jesus being tempted, those stories that are found in the Bible, we can stay in that realm. And I think if we were to apply it to us today and salvation, I would say it would be the story unfolding of Adam and Eve. Not so much that it literally happened, but the story and what that set up for salvation. Sure. Us then reflecting, okay, you know, how do I then view sin? How do I then view my role in all of this? And then the second action, I believe, would fit in line with people who believe like the finality of Jesus and incarnation in the cross. Okay. I think it's a great Sunday school answer. Jesus. <laughs> Josh, I've noticed you went quiet a little bit. Is this too much? Bi- are we failing to include you by talking oh. too much specific Bible and theology? No, no, not at all. No, I'm, I'm just listening here. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking more about failure and the more I'm thinking about it, the more I think that like, I think that in the midst of failure, there's always more to look forward to. Like, even if mm. something feels like a failure in the moment, it's not always going to feel like that. And the fact that like that thing is failing for whatever reason, it's probably going to leave room for something else. I absolutely, I'm like clapping to that. That is so true, Josh. And I think we need to hear that more often. We get caught up in what that present moment is doing and how that feels and we feel like it's going to linger forever and it's mm-hmm. it's not it may last a while and that may feel like forever but it's not i remember you know previous relationships oh gosh oh yeah that's a great example for a lot of people i think yeah you know you go through a horrible whether it was a breakup or the relationship itself was horrible and you feel like you were a failure that you weren't doing things the right way or Mm-hmm. things weren't working out and this is how it's going to be for the rest of your life that's how you feel and you're a failure and you're doomed to be single for the rest of your life and then you know maybe you find yourself years down the road in a wonderful relationship again or you discover things about yourself and that's why the relationship was a failure is because you weren't meant to be in those kinds of relationships like there's so much growth and change that happens with failure and we discover the life that comes from that and probably how much better it is because of it. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to ruminate too. And of course, like we all want to understand a situation, I think, but I I think that often becomes, it then is really easy to self-blame or blame the other person and act like you did nothing wrong. And personally, I think that that's at best only good temporarily. I think that what matters more is what happens next whether it's healing, whether it's reconciliation, whether it's complete moving on and forgetting about it. I think that what happens next is much more important than just understanding what exactly went wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm. Emily, how much do you love the story of Peter being restored? I do like it a lot. I would say it's probably in my top 10. Top 10? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just that idea of Jesus being intentional with Peter 
and creating parallels to allow Peter to almost close a loop, you mm-hmm. know? Because I, I have to imagine, right, the text says he went away and wept bitterly after he realized that he did what Jesus thought he would do. And that, that must have come with all sorts of feelings of like, wow, my friend Jesus knew me so well and knew that I was going to do that in a moment of pressure. Mm-hmm. That must have come with a lot of self-inflicted shame, knowing that like a friend can know you that well and even see a failure coming. But then getting the parallel and being able to close the loop of three times being told, like, do you love me? Then tend my sheep. And like having that flipped around to now you are the rock of the church. (laughs) Well, and I really like it because it's it's not Jesus going and saying, see, I told you so. My expectations were correct. Let's unpack what happened. Yeah, it's not dwelling on the past. It's not dwelling on the past at all. It's starting fresh, a rebirth. That, and that's a new action. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's wonderful. And I think it should give people hope of like, hey, here's like Jesus' number one fan who thought he was so great and he failed at something. And you know what? That didn't stop Jesus from loving him and seeing the worth and value that he still brought to the table. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for diving into this, guys. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just like stuck in a bunch of self-doubt and like I feel like I'm a failure right now, but I do think it's easy to feel that way, especially when chapters of your life is are closing, whether experiments didn't go the way they thought you thought they would or, you know. Mm-hmm. I also think it's very very helpful to have a healthy view of failure and understanding of like how you deal with it yeah healthily or unhealthily so that when situations come up again because like they're gonna happen like we're only human we are totally depraved (laughs) like failure is gonna happen in some instance or another and i think that it really goes a long way to like talk about failure even when you're not in the middle of it yeah definitely emily i fully expect you to end this episode but i also completely understand if you just like want to drop the ball like if you're feeling like a failure right now i would totally understand uh, well jokes on you josh i do have closing words for us uh, excellent just like just i expected good i'm glad i can meet your expectations and for those of you who are listening just know that we have no expectations of who you are or who you should be in fact we sometimes even find ourselves rediscovering what our expectations are and who we should be and what we believe in and that's exactly why this podcast exists so if we fail your expectation uh we're not the podcast for you but if you like what we're doing just keep listening and keep joining in on the conversation with us Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.